Welcome to episode 23 of Keeping It a Hundo. Today's guest is Elton Tyler. I'm your host, Maddie Hundo, and let's get right to it. I was told a few years ago by my boy Jimmy Broadbent that when you're a grown man, you can't have a best friend. Uh, he might be right, but he could be wrong. Uh, he's been wrong once or twice before, allegedly. The reason I bring that up is because today's guest, Elton Tyler, also known as Big Squeak. He's been maybe my best friend. I don't know if I have a best friend. I got a few really good friends. You know who you are. But Elton's been like a brother to me. His friendship means a lot to me. So if I refer to him as my best friend, I feel pretty comfortable doing that. You know, I don't know who's keeping score, but I know uh, if he needed something, I'll be there for him. And he's always been there for me. We've helped each other move numerous times. That says a lot in my book. I'm his daughter's godfather, Uncle Map, as she calls me. His grandmother basically adopted me as her grandson. We have a very close relationship. She means a lot to me as well. I was the best man in his wedding, along with Ashley Adorno, who's his best female friend. He had two best men, best women. With that said, this was a tough podcast for me because... There was too much history. There was too much I know about his life. And I feel like I left so much untapped. But I hope you got a sense of who he is and our friendship. And I want to tell this story that we didn't really delve into too much on the podcast. But back in 2009, I visited Elton over in Pistoia, Italy, where he was playing. It was maybe his fifth or sixth season playing in Italy. I was over there for two weeks and it really was an amazing experience. I got to see the life that he had been living the last few years since he left University of Miami, what it was like to live overseas, what it was like to play basketball overseas. It was really an eye opener. One of the coolest parts for me was seeing how much he had ingratiated himself into the culture over there. The, the food, he spoke the language. Everybody loved him, from his teammates, to the coaches, to the front office. And I could tell because they all wanted to get to know me really well. And that speaks volumes about his character. So they really made me feel welcome. They had double sessions while I was there, and it was a regular week. It wasn't like preseason camp or anything like that. It was just regular practice days. They had practice in the morning and then practice in the afternoon. And I would practice. I didn't like the double sessions because I wanted to do a little exploring around Tuscany but I did practice like once a day I did some drills they even played soccer at one of the practices to to warm up which I found interesting Elton didn't uh, participate I think he sat on the side stretching Elton likes to stretch a lot he's like the black Billy Hoyle during games I was in the huddle I was in the locker room the president of the team he was a real cool dude his name was Roberto I think he was the president. He had a jersey made for me, a team game jersey with my name on the back, which looks pretty good in an Italian jersey, if you know my last name. It's not Hundo. It's Baricelli, as they say over there. Some people here say Baricelli. They love the fact that Elton had an Italian-American friend from home, because I don't think I was what they were picturing when he said his boy from home was coming over to visit. So the president... He liked me so much that he didn't want me to leave because they didn't lose the whole time I was there. They were on a winning streak. He wanted me to stay. He said he was going to put me up at his house. And Elton was fine with that because he likes his space, and so do I. And Elton is really a routine type of guy. So 
having me over there was kind of tough for him because I wanted to get out and explore and see. You know, we were right near Florence and Pisa. So, you know, these historic places, I wanted to explore it and see what it was all about. We're right in Tuscany, beautiful, beautiful area. And luckily, he had a teammate, another American teammate, because there was only a couple American guys on every team over there, named Jerry McCullough, Jerry Ice. He played point guard at Pitt back in the good old days of the Big East and from Harlem. And he was, he was hurt, so we would work out and do some rehab stuff on the side, and then we'd take off and just do some exploring around you know, different parts of town and different areas in Tuscany and whatnot. So that was real cool having him there. I mean, I grew up watching him play. Got to see Elton play against guys like Marcus Hatton from St. John's and Troy Bell from BC and even Dante Calabria from North Carolina. They used to call me Dante Calabria in high school. I had the hair like him, kind of looked like him a little bit, could shoot the three. I got to meet Dante before one of the games, and that was a that was a really cool experience. My head was shaved, and he had a big bald spot in the middle, so we both looked a little bit different than we used to look. The whole trip was, like I said, it was an amazing experience, and all I can say is at the end of the trip, I had some euros left. I had quite a few euros left. It wasn't a very expensive trip since every meal I had was paid for by the team. I mean, I was at all the team dinners, and all the team functions, and so I didn't really have to spend much. I mean, we did go out to some clubs, but I can tell you this, I had plenty of Euros left, and I was so grateful for the experience and the opportunity that I just left it with Elton and told him, here, you know, take it. That's the type of friendship we have. Whatever's mine is his, and whatever his is mine, and we've always been like that. So when you listen to this, keep in mind where he came from and the fact that he never had a father in his life and the man he's become and the father that he is to his daughter at this point in his life. I've always admired Elton, not as a basketball player. That's always been a side note. That's just something that's allowed him to live a certain lifestyle and to experience a lot of great things. But it's been the other things in his life, the, the person he is and the father he is. And he did all that with a pretty horrible background. The odds were stacked against him from day one. Don't get me wrong, he's got some good family. But when you don't have a strong mom or a strong dad at home to take care of you, that's tough. I love his family. I love you, Grandma. I know you're going to listen to this. So please enjoy this conversation with my best friend slash brother from another mother, Elton Tyler. Fake thug, no love, you get the slug CB4 gusto, your luck low I didn't know till I was drunk though You freak niggas played out, get fucked and ate out Prostitute turned bitch, I got the gauge out 96 ways I made out Montana way, the good F-E-L-L-A Verbal AK spray, tip detaching Jump out the range, empty out the ashtray A glass of Zay, making mad casters Clay, red dot plots, murder schemes 32 shotguns, regulate with my thun 17 rocks gleam for one ring They let me let y'all niggas know one thing one life, one love, so they can only be one king. Talk a little bit. Hi, my name is <laughs> Big Squig from the A. Look at you and your technologies. Yo, Squig, I never had no technology. This is new. I taught myself all this. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> talk, the talk technology to me. is awesome. <laughs> I like it. You need some waves. You see the waves? That's where, what I edit off of. Where are my waves at? Yeah, get wavy. I don't know about all that, bruh. Ride the wave. What if I sit right here and do this? We're going to find out. It's going to be very, very awkward. 
Way but easy. I can do it. Let's talk Academy Homes. Academy Homes. Good times. Start at the Real beginning. Good times. Uh, I remember back then it was a neighborhood atmosphere. You were uh, raised by the, you know, your your neighbors and stuff, your family. So even though we were in a tough neighborhood, tough area, there were lots of good things about it. A lot of friendships, a lot of families connecting. Uh, it takes a village type yeah, mindset. Absolutely. We had a lot of fun growing up amongst all the stuff that was going on, crack back in those days and all the all the gang stuff and you know, shootings, killings and what have you. Everyone always kept me away from it, even though I was in it. It's a funny thing, I didn't even like basketball back then. Here with Elton Tyler, Boston's finest from yeah, yeah. Uh, Roxbury. We're talking about Academy Homes. It's a housing project in Roxbury. That's where Elton grew up. He's also a brother from another mother. This, this podcast is going to be a little different because we're pretty much going off the cuff. I don't really need to do a whole lot of research. Let's talk about that a little bit, your family dynamic. I know you have a huge family, a yeah. great family. They brought me in as one of their own, mm -hmm. and I consider them the other side of my family because I only have my dad's side. I don't have another side. Right. So that's where your family comes in. Let's talk about what it was like. Who raised you? Everybody, <laughs> meaning like aunts, uncles, and like you said, it was a, it takes a village type thing back then. So my best friend's mom, you know, my, my homeboy Izzy's mom, you know, I had a lot of moms in the neighborhood, but at that time my mother was in and out, you know, going through stuff with drugs or whatever. And my father, I, I don't remember seeing until I was a teenager. I don't remember when I was a kid. It was a neighborhood effort for sure. Since I lived in close quarters with all the friends or whatever, you know, we had fun together. We played a game called what they call Skelly in New York. One of our friends brought that back from New York. We played that. Tag, all the regular stuff, kickball, football. You, you know, guys have Relievio? I don't know what that is. Kick the can? Nah. <laughs> Damn. We played all that, but then we played those too. Yeah, there was no kicking of cans. Nah, However, put a we did. Can in the street. We did. Um, like when it rained, we'd have the straw straw races, like down the street, down the, by the curb where the water would flow down. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we would have those kind of races. But yeah, we I mean we had lots to do. It was just a lot of stuff going on around us. Your mom was in and out of drugs, and your dad was absent. Mm-hmm. You you found out later on your dad was kind of a a dealer. He was pushing. Well, a lot I don't of drugs know if he stuff. was a dealer. My mother, after I had to talk with my mother, she was saying he was more of a user than a dealer. Okay. I guess he was trying to be a pimp. <laughs> That's what my mother said. Trying he to pimp trying her to, out? No, not necessarily her, but uh, just, in you know, just having lots of women and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that's basically all I know, except for what people tell me. Well, actually, I like some of the stories you told me. Like, you said he was like a 6'8 point guard. Yeah. that's Also what, named Elton. Yeah, that's what, that's what I heard. Like, it would be a random person that would stop me, you know, because I'm tall. And they'd be like, what's your name? And I, you know, Elton. And they'd be like, Elton Elmore? And I'd be like, nah, that's my father. And they don't know I really know him that well, but... They'd go, oh, man, he was a good dude, and, you know, he played, he was a 6'8", 6'9", point guard, and this and that. So 
I'm pretty sure I get all that stuff from him. You know, like the personality and all that. Since I, it seems everyone really loved him. But, you know, people have their demons. So I wish I could have had a better relationship just for that dynamic. But, I mean, it is what it is. You, you gotta, told me once that you met him, like, what, two times? Yeah, that I remember. Yeah. And probably the third time I saw him, he was on his deathbed. So, you know, I think that's when I was about 15. Okay. But uh, I remember him bringing my sister over, my sister from, you know, my father's side, my sister Wimby. Like when I lived in Warren Gardens, I would think I might have been 13. And I was sleeping. She always says that when he went in there, she's like, bro, and he lifted you off the bed and you just kept going and going and going, just saying how tall I was when he picked me up. <laughs> so that was like, I think that might have been the first time I met her as well, like when I was 13 or something really? like that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I don't, I don't remember. I'll have to ask her because my memory's terrible anyways. But so my mom was, you know, in and out with the drugs or whatever, in and out of the house. So my grandmother had custody of me and my brother, but I was always with my Aunt Rita. So she was probably the person who raised me the most because I was with her the most. She took care of me the most. And my Uncle Ronald was, you know, my father. Too. Where was Rita, Rita living at the time? Oh, in the academies? We had everybody in the house. Oh, everyone was living in the academy? Yeah, I remember at Grandma one time, was in the academy, right? My grandmother, my Aunt Rita, Carrie, Ronald, Robin may have been out, and then all the kids, me, my brother, my cousin Shaniga, Taisha, uh, Liz. Yeah, we was packed up in there. <laughs> you hear a lot of stories about people having trouble uh, with, you know, gang stuff and like, oh, we, I wasn't allowed to cross this street or go to this mm -hmm. bus stop or whatever, and I've heard you tell that story. You actually lived that. Yeah. I mean, like, our neighborhood is close to another housing project, uh, Heath Street Projects and Jamaica Plain. But the thing is, back in the day, I think before all that cracking stuff started hitting, you know, we had family over there as well. Like, before that time, they would come over Who's our side. Oh, my cousin uh, Erica and all them, my yeah. cousin Bruce and all those guys. Mm -hmm. Even my, my, I guess my mother's mom, my grandmother's mom, my great-grandmother used to live out there if I'm not mistaken, but, you know, my Aunt Dot, we had family over there, but I think after that. Does everybody have an Aunt Dot? I have an Aunt Dottie. Probably. Is her name Dorothy? I think so. I think all Dorothys <laughs> might be Dots. <laughs> yeah, our families, we would go over there, they would come over outside, whatever, and it was cool, like, but I think that crack and the people fighting for money and this and all of that dismantled all kinds of dynamics. I used to go to school in Jamaica Plain, Kennedy, the Curly, so I would have to walk through there, and my brother, you know, in our neighborhood, we had our our neighborhood gang or whatever, and so everybody knew who I was, so I was always cautious. Even though I had family over there, I was always cautious. I wasn't in all that. My brother always kept me away, and all his friends, they always kept me away from that stuff, even though I was right there in it. Because they knew you had talent, basically? Uh, I don't know. It could have been that. Because you weren't even hooping that young. Yeah, it could have been that or just I was still a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they didn't want me around that, which is good. But some people will, will recruit little kids into what yeah. they're doing. But maybe they saw that I wasn't that type of person Especially kids that well. don't have a father around. Yeah. So, but My brother used to always, <laughs> I would always follow him. And 
we had two sides of our neighborhood. He's like what, two, three years older than you? Two? Four. Four? Yeah. So our neighborhood was separated by a little wooded area. Like they call it the dark side. Academy one and Academy two, dark side, light side. So when he would get to the woods, he would just take off running because he knew I was following him. <laughs> so I'd be like, you know, I'd be dejected about that. But did you rock the Atlanta Braves hat ever to rep the A? No, I'm I'm not gang affiliated like that. <laughs> So I don't get involved in all that. I used to live in the Pittsburgh Pirates neighborhood. Yeah. Over I'm, there. Up in the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of family out there as well. Right. Didn't your dad live there at one point? Yeah. All my, my grandmother, everybody. They did? Lived there. My aunts, my uncles. Yeah. Then they, everyone moved to Academy Homes. But, but uh. The point was a whole interesting concept, like a. Yeah. Housing, like a gated community that they trying to. I think that's where all the people, all the black folks that came from down south went to or from wherever they were from they went to that neighborhood that's like and where they started yeah like a melting pot because my grandmother knows everybody if you say a name or whatever she has like one of those elephant memories and she'll go down like a line oh is that such and such as cousin's nephew oh yeah i know her grandma. yeah so there like was that. a there used to be the guy who lived across the street from me and i asked her if she knew him his name was mr williams and he had like thirty kids. Yeah, that's Shanika's grandfather. Spread all over. I think that's Shanika's grandfather. My cousin Shanika's grandfather. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. What was his name? Mr. Williams. Yeah. I want to say one of his kids was um, what's that kid's last name? He played for Southie High with those good teams. With mm-hmm. you know, with uh. Might have been Sean Williams. No, he had a different last name. Oh. Uh, it was like oh man, I can't remember his name. He was younger than them, but he was on those good teams. Uh, Kareem was kind of like a a victim of the environment. I wouldn't say he was a victim. He was doing what he wanted to do. But he didn't mean. I mean, so he ends up getting locked up for a murder. Right. That he didn't commit. Right. But he was like peripherally involved in it. Right. So So I tell that story. I've heard it from him. But what happened was, I think my my cousin, some kid was messing with my cousin. And I guess she told my brother, and I don't know all the facts, but, you know, him and a couple of friends went and they wanted to rough him up, you know. They went back for retribution. Yeah. And he thought, like, oh, we're going to beat this dude up. Yeah. So I think when they went out there, that's what he was expecting to happen. And one of them had a gun and, you know, killed the kid. So I believe that's. Guilty by association. Exactly. So he gets locked up for second degree murder, I think. I might have been conspiracy. Okay. Something like that. So I'm, I'm not even sure on all that because I, I don't even ask You were him young about at the it. time, too. Yeah. Elton's playing ball overseas. I'm living down in Miami. We get on a plane and we run into each other. We hadn't seen each other since college. Mm-hmm. And this is probably four or five years after college. Yeah. Something like something that. Something like that. No, it's actually like three years. Elton's on his way home, and I tell Elton I had heart surgery, all this craziness. We're catching up mm-hmm. on each other's lives, and he mentions during the flight, oh, yeah, my brother's picking me up at the airport. I'm like, your brother? Yeah. Your brother's been locked up ever since I've known you, and he had just got acquitted or what? What exonerated. I don't, I don't even know if it was that. Like, what was I, it? He, I think he got released early. Really you know? early? Yeah, very early. But the funny thing is, is he was out for a year started landscaping company was doing pretty good and they i guess they told him he didn't serve enough time so he had to go back and do another year but he got out early again after you served some time i don't know how that works or why 
that was like that, but that's yeah, strange. It's very strange. So how'd you end up at West Roxbury High? I think it was probably because all my friends that went to the Mary E. Curly with me, you know, I wanted to be around them. I actually never heard of it before. No basketball purposes or anything like no, that. Just no. It's just I wasn't even into basketball like that. I just started playing. When organized did you play your first organized game? Eighth in grade middle school, or yeah. I was just starting to tap into the team type of basketball, but you know, I would play at the park with my friends or whatever. But it wasn't really something that I was looking to do. I always had there was a guy I remember in my neighborhood. I think his name was Tony. He was always asking me to play on his teams or, you know, the, for him to, you know, just try to coach me up or whatever. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to play basketball. <laughs> how how uh, tall were you in eighth grade? Eighth grade, I was probably like 6'3". Okay. Something like that. So you're still so, like the tallest or whatever, but not yeah. like anything special. Like 6'3 yeah. is like tall. but 6'3", 6'4", something like that. Yeah. But I was always the tallest at whatever school When's I When's the first to. time you dunked? Ah, I don't even remember. It had to be, it was in middle school sometime. I used to always go over to Marcella Park (laughs) and try to dunk on the the rims, but they were double rims, and I could never get over that second second part of the rim, but it was probably over there on the outside courts where we always were. (laughs) I don't even think I ever dunked on the double rim. (laughs) I don't think I could. But I guess all the practicing or trying built up my legs enough. Yeah. (laughs) So you stopped playing at West Roxbury High, mm-hmm. and are you on varsity right away? I mean, how did this uh, go? I played uh, JV and varsity. As a I played, uh, yeah, as a freshman, I played half, half a JV game and half a varsity game. You know, just to get the experience for the varsity. There's a guy in front of me, Deron. Deron, it might have been Deron Taylor. He was pretty good, you know. And I used to always watch. I always watched the guys on the varsity team. You know, just to get better. I think even my homeboy Duke was on the team, mean at Petty John. Played uh, so, football at Syracuse. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I played both my freshman year. You were uh, in football, you were playing safety? Yeah, I played uh, safety and, uh, and flanker. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't throw too much. No, nah, our team was a running team. Same we had here. a guy, Miles Thomas. He was really good. And, yeah, we were basically a running team. Yeah, I played my five games, and they tried to hurt me at English High. You only played freshman year? No, no, no. That was my senior year. Okay, because I thought you my, skipped yeah. a couple years and then played again senior no. year, right? No, that was just my senior year. My coach was oh, like, okay. what are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing what I want to do, coach. <laughs> six, eight, six, nine, free safety. Yeah, free safety Picture and that. wide receiver. <laughs> six, were you six, nine in high school? Or six, six eight. eight. Six, eight, what, 170? Yeah, probably. Six, eight, 170, free safety. Running like a flash. <laughs> I was told that, that I, I've reminded people of a gazelle running through the plains. <laughs> that was like the most fun I've ever had because I, I love football more than I did basketball. Yeah. And I always wanted to play. They're so different. Yeah. Like the whole preparation process is so different. Yeah. and I like that part. Yeah. I love practices. That's what I like. It's almost like the military. Yeah. I guess it's because I needed structure in my life. Yep. That's why I like this so much. I don't know. So what came first, the success in the high school ranks, and then that's how you ended up at BABC? It had to be from when I started with BABC. How would you get in with them? Honestly, I don't remember, but I know after I started playing with them, I started getting a lot better. 
very quickly. And I mean, because you're playing with the best guys in the state or in the city or whatever, either you're going to get better or you're just not cut out for it. <laughs> so it was basically watching and learning and seeing how kids in the, in the top tier do it. So I'm always learning really easy. Like, Did they just grab you because you were tall? Probably. At first? Maybe they saw some potential in me. Yeah. You know? I mean, you're just not going to let a 6'8 kid be out there with no guidance or whatever. Right. Oh, there's a lot of stiffs at a 6'8 yeah. that so, can't do shit. I guess there was some potential that people saw in me. I was athletic enough, you know, to play on the team. And I guess the main thing was just getting the experience. After that, it was just, you know, straight to the top, playing against people like Kobe Bryant and stuff in high school, Tim let's, Thomas. Let's get to that in a second. For the, for the audience that doesn't know, BABC is the Boston Amateur Bas- Basketball Club. Yep. Uh, it's like one of the top well-known AAU programs in the country. I think mm-hmm. the difference with BABC, the reason why you guys win so much, I mean, yeah, you have great talent. Mm-hmm. There's great talent in a lot of cities. But, like, you guys stay together. Yeah. You play all your games together, your tournaments yeah. together, where a lot of these teams are flip-flopping. Flip-flop, like, a dude yeah. will be from Cali and playing on a Texas team or yeah. something, you know. And we, you would, guys beat, stay we would beat teams like that, too. Yeah. Wait, and they'll Easily. have, like, a bunch of NBA guys now. They're yeah. guys who turned up NBA guys, and you guys were spanking yeah. them all. Yeah, I think it was definitely cohesiveness. Yeah. And, you know, guys hung out when we weren't playing basketball as well. So there's definitely a brotherhood with that, especially when you play with such a historic organization with, like, basketball. So Leo so, Papil yeah. is the head of the program. He's, A.K.A. He's the Black. <laughs> you got to have at least one or two stories about him for the show. Yeah, I have one when we played in the tournament in Vegas. I guess the referees were weren't calling it the way he would like. And I think it like I don't even know if the game was over or was still the game was still going on, but I, he just flipped and he started chasing the uh, referee through the locker rooms and everything. It was hilarious. Like he was hot. I don't even know if we won or lost the game, but that's the memory I took from that. <laughs> and for that that situation, I, it was hilarious to see him literally chasing the referees in the locker room. We had we used to hear stories uh, coming up. And, like, you know, I used to play some AAU, but not at that level. And we used to hear stories about Leo, like, he would be procuring women for some of his players and things like that. And, <laughs> you know, hooking well, guys up was, with all types of things. If he was procuring women, it, was for it wasn't for me. Because <laughs> I ain't seen none of that. <laughs> but, I, I mean, when once I started playing, we got a big kid from, from Worcester. Mike Bradley, me and him were always together. That's like my other brother from another mother, you know what I mean? Uh, I still talk to him. He's out in, uh, I think he's in East Kentucky right now coaching. But, yeah, we as soon as we met, we were like, you know, best buds, I guess you could say. And, you know, we in contact ever played since. Played against him in the Big East. Yeah, played against him in the Big Well, I didn't play that year. I set out that year because I was suspended from school. <laughs> for a semester but we've all been yeah. suspended been there. <laughs> he he had a good career he started at kentucky and won a national championship there then went to villanova you mentioned a couple of the guys you played against before we get to that mm-hmm. tell us who you played with i know i know a bunch of them but go ahead oh uh, yeah jonathan depina monty mack uh roger roberts my homeboy b-rat mr lebron who else jamal Who's kamal 
Vinny LeBron. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are the guys so that many. are like your your year, right? Yeah, that area. But you had the then you played with the older guys. Yeah, I played with the older guys. I played with Eggie McRae, um, Randell, Randell Jackson, Scooney, Scooney Pin, Courtney Jackson. Yeah, I don't think I ever played with Wayne. He, yeah, he's a little older. Yeah, on that team would be like Monty and and Scooney and Roger, BJ, my dog BJ, Scott Clark, my homeboy Booth. Uh, we had a lot of guys. Mike Bradley, Mike Martisich. Shizneezy. Yeah, Shan <laughs> Crooks. Can't forget Shandino. Yeah. We had lots of talent so, on that So team. who are the guys you played against? You mentioned Kobe. Kobe, Tim Thomas, Elton Brand, Ron Artest. Uh, L.O. Yeah, Lamar Odom, Vince Carter. All those guys from that, I guess, was that like the 90s? Uh, something 90s, right? 98 or something like that? No, no, no. 98 to 2000 yeah. draft, right around there. Yep. Which is one of those was one of the best drafts ever. Yeah. All those guys from, like, that draft. Tayshawn Prince. And you guys. Jermaine O'Neal. You guys won most of those tournaments, no? Yeah, we won a lot of those tournaments. We also lost some of those games. You know, they have superior talent as well. Yeah. You know, we weren't invincible. You know what I mean? I know we lost to Riverside a few times, mm-hmm. Riverside Church. Who did they have when you were there? Uh, Elton Brand, Lamar Odom. Eric Barkley, I think it's Deion Glover. Loaded. Yeah, locked and loaded. Tim Thomas. You Cameron, know. Killer Cam. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember riding down to, like, was the Boo Williams tournament yeah. in Cadillacs. In Virginia? Cause, yeah, because our, our coach didn't want to rent a van. So we actually, what's the one in uh, Philly? Oh, uh, I forget the one in Philly. That's another, like, <clears throat> Boo something or something like that. Yeah, we went down there in Philly in Cadillacs. And my homeboy, um, Leo, Leo provided the Cadillac. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and my homeboy, he had a drop top too, one of them long ass drop tops. And my dog, Mike Bradley, got windburn. I didn't know that Come was. A, I didn't know that was a thing because he's six ten, sitting in the back of a drop top, <laughs> looking like Dino from the Flintstones. So, and uh, <laughs> and we forgot the Babels. Shout out to yeah, John and Mike. John and Mike Babel. I think they're still doing their things with the camps and stuff. I see them on, uh, on John Facebook. John still and stuff. Uh, is with the Hawks organization. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah. So those were some of the top talent we played against coming up as well. And, you know, your homeboy, S. Dot Connolly. Yep. And all those guys. Can't forget my, my, my little dude, Courtney. Courtney Eldridge, Eldridge, who's at Iowa right now. So let's get to. The whole recruiting process, because we have a whole chapter yeah. on Boston College. Oh, yeah. Let's just talk about when you're coming out. Tell me how it started. Who threw the first offer at you? Who threw the first offer? It starts with the letters and all that, but I don't remember who the first one was. It might it actually might have been like Rutgers, because that's the one that comes to mind first. Yeah. And you know some of the local schools, Northeastern and stuff like that. They'll start yeah. knocking on the door. Northeastern, Rutgers. I would probably say a lot of the teams in the Big East at the time. I got letters from Villanova, St. John's, uh, Michigan at the time. Steve Fisher came to my school. One of my homeboys, Dana, he he remembers that day very clearly. Cause, I remember this story. Yeah, he was a big fan of you know the Fab Five in Michigan and all that. and He was like, yo. Is that Steve Fisher? Like, yeah. Like me, I don't – I'm very laid back and don't get starstruck or whatever still to this day. So, I, for me, it was just like whatever. Like, <laughs> I wasn't really into it like that. Actually, the uh, recruiting process was very annoying to me 
because you got people sending boxes of letters. Like, what the hell am I supposed to do with all these letters? Right. Like, what the fuck? I mean, it's, it's good to know that you're, what you're doing is, you know, people are noticing and stuff. So it's always good for that, for Man, that I, purpose. I but. wish somebody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Georgetown, UConn. A lot of different schools. Northwestern out in let's Illinois. Ta- let's take two of those examples. Like you got the Fab Five and Steve Fisher, and then you got like John mm-hmm. Thompson. If I'm coming up and I'm a young black dude coming out of the hood, I got to look at those opportunities and be like hard to say no yeah. to John Thompson. Like that father figure playing yeah. for Georgetown but or see, the that, Fab Five. With me, that's, that's why I'm probably one of the most different basketball players. Because I didn't even watch college basketball, none of that. So none of it was really like... Every time I would turn on the TV, it would be Boston College playing against Miami. I always saw... <laughs> I'm serious. I've always seen Boston College playing against Miami. Or like maybe they'll have a UConn game on playing against Miami. But I never watched it. But I always remember Big Popa and, you know, all those guys. It's funny you say that. that. I've been to two... Well, let's let's exclude any of the bc miami games i went to when like you were playing or whatever but i only went to two bc games in my life and they were both bc miami games probably because those are the easy one to get tickets to right it's strange how that i think about that now and i always that's those are the two teams i always see saw playing why did you end up choosing bc uh main reasons it it felt i felt good there uh more so coach ob yeah. I really like Coach OB. When I he talked to us, talked to me, I didn't feel like that he was there was any BS going on. Also, my homeboy, uh, this assistant again, uh, he does Biancardi. Yeah, Biancardi. Biancardi was a good guy. He was you know a straight shooter. I felt comfortable around <clears throat> around him. And then a bunch of your boys were going there too. Yeah, that too. A bunch of teammates from BABC. Yep. Bunch of the guys, Jonathan and all of them. We all have visits out there. Mike Bradley, you know, Scooney was there already. I believe he was there already. Yeah, he was. Scooney was there. So that helped a lot. Just felt like that would have been the right move. So how far along did you get before the trouble started? Uh, did you sign I, uh, anything, yeah. like letter of I intent? Think we already signed our letters of intent. Yeah. You know, we after we passed our um, SATs or whatever, yeah, you had um, you had good grades, you had good SATs, well, everything was fine. My SATs, I barely by the skin pan- of your yeah. teeth. <laughs> but I mean, I got past them. SATs really shouldn't determine like what your future is going to be like, anyways. With that being said, I got I passed my SATs, and uh, Jonathan he was good. Jonathan's a smart dude, so you know he passed his or whatever. So we were good to go. So to shed some light on it for the audience, it was a big breaking story that. BC had all these local commits. BC isn't really like a beloved program in Boston. Yeah. It's always kind of been like this Catholic school out in Chestnut Hill that, you know, it's a, first of all, it's a pro sports town. Mm-hmm. It's not a big college town, even though we have a million colleges. Yeah. Maybe that's part of it. It's saturated with colleges. You don't know which one to right. follow. But at the same time, I feel like BC doesn't really connect with the community. Like I never felt any type of connection with BC. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and we, we just weren't fans of them growing up. It was like mm-hmm. they were just like any other team in the Big East. I liked them when they were good. I liked Villanova when they had Kerry Kittles. I liked yeah. Lawrence Moten in Syracuse. I liked yep. Terry DeHair in Seton Hall. It was whoever was playing. Yeah. So BC was going to 
get all these local kids, and that's something they really didn't do. They'd have one or two guys here and there, the mm-hmm. Dana Barrows or the Bill Curley or something. So they bring in, what, four of you guys, five yeah. of you guys? They get Scooney there already. Scooney there. I think it might have been, like, me, John, John DePina, Mike Bradley. Sean Conley. Sean Conley. And they had these big twins. One went to, like, Clemson, and one went to Maryland, I want to say. No, Mike Martisich went to Maryland. Yeah, he But went. they had these big twins that I think they were from Florida. We would have had a decent class coming in for sure. So everybody's excited, and then there's this breaking news that... Also, I think it was around the time with that, that football scandal that went on. Ah, uh, the I gambling think, stuff. Yeah, I think it was around that time as well. So, so, so BC starts tightening up admissions or yeah. whatever they're doing, and a story comes out that they're releasing basically all the local guys, right, mm-hmm. from their commitments. Yeah. And not long after came out allegations of racism and... Yeah. So I've heard different versions of it from you. I've heard it from the newspapers. I've mm-hmm. heard it from other people who were involved. Before I start putting my spin on it, what I think happened and some yeah. of the things I know that happened, I want to hear firsthand from you. You went in for an interview? Yeah, we did a, the interview thing or whatever. Honestly, I don't know why they did what they did, but I felt like when I started talking about my brother, my brother was locked up at the time when I started talking about him that has some effect on it. I can't be 100% with that, but there was no reason for them to let us out after we, you know, got all all we needed to do, you know, to be enrolled. One of the things I read, I believe it was in the Boston Globe, and this has no bearing on you. Right. They were talking about your mom. Right. And they said like, "Oh, we think his mom's a drug addict." Right. By the her behavior or something like that at right. the, was she with you? Yeah, my mother was with me. Okay, because I read Mm -hmm. something about that, and it was like, how does that have any bearing (laughs) on the child's future? Like, it just blew my mind that they just decide if that happened today, that would be like, (laughs) you can't, it couldn't happen. And that's the reason why Coach Ob left. Like he was like, wait a minute, like these are good kids. He stood up for his players. Yeah, he's like, these are good kids right here. Like, I don't, he didn't understand what was going on either, Mm -hmm. and there was only one reason that you could single out for why that was happening from like most people's standpoint. So I don't know. I also think like you said with my mom was my brother being locked up Mm -hmm. and they probably thinking, Oh, he's going to go along the same path or something like that, whatever. But no, I honestly don't know what their reasoning was. And after we left there, and I went on my visit to Miami. It was a wrap. <laughs> and it was the best thing that ever happened to you. It's yeah. the same thing that happened to me when I got thrown out of school at <laughs> Union College in Schenectady, yeah. New York. You know, it seemed like it was rock bottom, but yeah. things I, only got better from there. I also, like, before then, they were recruiting. And um, I would also always see Coach Free at the tournaments. And he would say hi or whatever. And, you know, they show interest that way. Yeah, I mean, once I got down there, I felt comfortable, felt like home. I got Florida blood. My grandmother, my mother was born there. I got family in Central Florida. So, I mean, it. I just felt the environment felt right. Even though I went down there, I think it was like Martin Luther King weekend or whatever, and it was like 40 degrees, <laughs> and I didn't have no coats or nothing and wasn't expecting it to be 40 degrees because it's subtropical climate. It hasn't been 40 degrees since. Yeah, <laughs> but... uh. Yeah, I just felt good about 
the situation, the coaches, and for the record, that. you you've never held a lot of hostility towards BC for what they did. You kind of just kept it moving. And, yeah, I'm, but I'm, I've I mean, it was blatant racism. Yeah, blatant. My grandmother asked me. I think it might have been my freshman year. She asked me if I wanted to file charges mm-hmm. against them or whatever, and I was like, Grandma, I don't. I don't even care about that anymore because I'm so having so much fun down there, and I was, I already moved on mentally. Maybe like, if, I didn't dwell if on your that. career didn't <laughs> go so well, you might have had some hard feelings. I don't know, yeah. but you know, you did fine at Miami. So let's talk about yeah. Miami, which is where me and you linked up. I remember being in the dining hall and being like, "Oh shit, yeah, that's Elton Tyler. I remember him in from high school, <laughs> like seeing you play in these AAU tournaments I was at or mm-hmm. whatever." It was cool to have somebody local there. There was only a couple. I didn't know anybody when I went down there. Yeah. And uh, I'd run into a couple people from up north that, you know, just good to see some people from yeah. around the way. So talk about Coach Ham's, Ham's impact on you. Coach Ham, uh, he's definitely Hamilton. definitely uh, a father figure. No nonsense. I mean, he's a good guy. He'll joke around with you, but when you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do, he holds yes. people accountable. Yeah, he holds people accountable. You're supposed to do it. It was the first time, like, I've ever not wanted to play basketball. Well, second time from all the tournaments. I played in BABC one summer. We played 100-and-something games. Burnt out. <laughs> Burnt out. But, uh, like, when we started practicing, I, we didn't do all the stuff, all the training and stuff back in high school. It was just go out there and play. Now you got classes at – eight in the morning but before that you got six o'clock workouts and then you got practice later on that day so my first year was it was tough on the the mental standpoint I wanted to quit every day I tell people all the time because it was the toughest thing I ever did like physically that just wore me out <laughs> coach ham was like the toughest coach you ever played for as far as like the um, pre- preparation and conditioning I don't. I wouldn't say it was tough. It was just something I wasn't used to, because right. I never had to do that before. Okay. So it was probably because of that. Once you got used to it, it was. Yeah. Like, once I right. once I got used to it, my junior year, because those first two years, <laughs> <laughs> I still wasn't used to it. But what what he helps you with is your mind, like strengthening your mind, because after that, like I feel like when I went overseas and I'd be out of shape. I wasn't stressing about it because I already went through some tough practices and stuff like in college that didn't amount to, you know what I mean, anything I've done overseas. He's a real good guy. He still looks out for players even after you finish in college or whatever. You know, you can call him up if you're down on your luck, you need a job, whatever. Whatever the case may be, he'll help you. He helps all his players that that have played for him. Uh, Not only him, Coach Jones – Coach Free, all those guys. Yeah, really good guys. The yeah. interactions I've had with them through you and some of the other guys. Yeah, and also that I that's where I solidify some brotherhoods. Not only, well, you were a little bit after, but what my yep. dog, uh, Big Wimbley, uh, Big Wheezy, uh, Mike Byers, Todd Manuel out there in CT, uh, all those guys, Mario, Vern, Tim, Marcus. All those guys. And you guys man. had some good teams. Yeah, we we had good teams. We probably weren't the most talented. Yeah. But the first three years or the first two years, we held the defensive field goal percentage. We had the number one spot, like thirty, 
seven percent or something like that. Yeah. So if we wasn't outscoring you, you wasn't outscoring. You guys us. were long and like kind of like the, yeah. the new teams, like the Celtics yeah. or something, and the Golden State right now. You were yeah. long and could everybody could switch. Yeah, our center was six six on a good day. Yeah, true. Big bland. He could also play yeah. the point. <laughs> yeah, he could, he bring the he bring the ball up the court. He had that that post game, that mid range game, shoot the three a little bit. You know, we had Johnny Hemsley, one of those Baltimore uh, slashes and killers. And Speaking of Johnny, while we're on that subject, who's the most talented guy you ever played with? Because you guys had a the couple most talented? Uh, at UM, at, at Miami. John Salmons. So, John, you had what? How many guys went to the NBA from those teams? Two or three? John, James. Tim, and James. Oh, yeah, three. Yeah. Two first-round picks? Or mm. One first? Two. John and Tim. Yeah, John and Tim. I think and then James, round. I think, was second round. Yeah, John could do everything. Yeah, I used to. We when he got to school, and we would play pickup in the summertime. He'd be out there killing the NBA players. He's six seven, could handle the ball like a point guard. Was strong enough to play in the post. It had post game. He had moves. Get by anybody. So I defend already knew one through four. Yeah, can definitely defend one through four. He, you could definitely tell when somebody is gonna you know make it at the next level and not only with him i knew that i knew it with tim i saw that that was easy he was a freakish athlete yeah, freakish athlete and with james james just had that drive and just got better and better every year i used to like during the games i would sub myself out so he could get in <laughs> no seriously so he could get more experience because i already knew what he was gonna do he wasn't so, even a shooter at, at Miami, which no, is funny. No, he could shoot, but he wasn't because right. he was playing down in the post like that. He was I a think. really good shot blocker. Yeah, no, definitely. He was very good on defense, but I I knew he was going to be, you know, different. But, uh, yeah, those are all my guys, man. I still talk to most of them on, like, Facebook, you know, Wheezy and them. You're so, a Facebook legend. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. That's what happens when you're overseas and you don't have nothing True. to do and you're up till 6, 7 in the morning and then I got, you got practice at 9. <laughs> I got friends of mine that some of them you've met, some of them you haven't met, that just like following you on Facebook just because yeah. you're so active. And it's not for likes or anything. That's just nah, – I just nah, go nah. on there and have fun. I like to have everyone laughing and, you know, because there's a lot of shit going on with people. So I'm more of a – I'm going to try to help everyone, you know, forget whatever's going on for at least a little while. So while we're on that topic and we're still at University of Miami, let's talk about <laughs> Elton Luther King Jr. Yeah, yeah. He's more – he was more Martin and I was more Malcolm. <laughs> uh, we would be out and I had – might be hard to believe, but I had quite a temper back then and <laughs> I would have trouble – Katie Kaboom. Uh, controlling my emotions, and we might run into a situation where I want to get into it with somebody. And Elton looks the part and acts the part of somebody who can break up a fight since he's 6'9 <laughs> and the weight fluctuates. Right, right. Um, <laughs> he's on the higher side now. Uh, he would just stand in the middle, and instead of, you know, putting his hands on anybody or spreading us apart or whatever, he would just look at me and say, what do we come here to do tonight? And I would say, uh, you know, maybe have some drinks, talk to some girls. Yeah. And he would say, eh, is this going to help us do any of that? And I would say no. And he's like, all right, walk your ass away. <laughs> and that exactly. was about it. So I started calling him Elton Luther King Jr. <laughs> My thing is, if you're going out to have fun, fighting is not going to help you have fun. Because I, I told him that night, I was like, you're going to fuck up his night, your night, my night. And it's gonna be extra whack. 
fuck around, get locked up or whatever. There you go. But I wish you had taught what? me that stuff earlier. <laughs> for what? Ellen's <clears throat> calm demeanor always helped me out. Yeah, but I wasn't always like that. My aunts and family have stories for days. I do remember lighting fires in the house. I do. I think a lot of my anger and stuff was from not having my parents around. Yeah. That I, I kind of figured that out later in life, especially doing the, with, you know, the work I do now with kids. So all that stuff was just pent up anger and. A lot of people ask me all the time, "What's what's Elton up to?" Uh, working with kids at the Home for Little Wanderers. These are kids that some grew up similar, some a lot worse. Like things that if I told you about, you would probably throw up in your mouth or bust out crying or something tell, like that. Tell us about like one, just one kid. Well, like. I can't really do that because, you know, for legal reasons, but well, I don't like some of, the, some of the stuff, like there was a kid who was living in a, I think an SUV at a rest stop, him his family, mother, father. I think he had like five sisters in the SUV and the older sisters used to sexually abuse him, stuff like that. All right, so from Miami, you you did the whole what? The Portsmouth Invitational. Yeah. And you Portsmouth. got a chance to, to get drafted. You go undrafted. Mm-hmm. You end up in the Hawks. Uh, oh, I, actually I did get drafted by the Brevard Ducks. <laughs> uh, USBL? Yeah, thank you guys, appreciate that. <laughs> The Brevard County Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I remember seeing that. I had no idea until I, I randomly came upon it. I don't even you know. You don't even get like a phone call that says like, hey, we drafted you or whatever? No, I didn't get no phone call. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> That's hilarious. So I misspoke. He did not go undrafted. Yeah. But he ends up in the NBA Summer League with the Hawks, right? Mm-hmm. Playing at uh, UMass Boston in the uh, – Yeah. They used to have the Summer League there. How did that go? I had fun, you know what I mean? I was playing with, uh, who was on my team? I think Dan Dickow, Chris Porter, yep. went to Auburn. Freakish athlete. Um, was the guy, the French guy that played with the Spurs. Um, he got really, really fat. Oh, Boris Diaw. Boris Diaw. Yeah, they yeah. did draft him. Dan Dickow and Boris Diaw. Yep. Those guys were on the team. We had some other guys from other colleges as well. So was it a numbers game where you kind of knew from the beginning, like you just – you probably weren't going to make the team because it was just too many guys. I didn't even you think, don't know. I didn't even think like that. I was just going out there to play. You know, Having it was a, it playing. was an opportunity, so I was going out there to play. Like during practices and stuff, you know, uh, we would have do shooting drills, th- things like that. And uh, Dominique Wilkins was one of our coaches, and he would he would always tell me he was like, "Man, keep up the good work, man. You got a good shot. You you know you're pretty good. You can get better." So I was just trying to do my thing. I wasn't worried about <clears throat> worried about if I would make the team or not. I just wanted to, you know, be out there and play and have fun. You know, meet some new people, things like that. I'm a different type of person with <laughs> you, ball. You definitely are. <laughs> you never have been like a, a ball or die type person. No. Nah. Like, nope. So you end up in Italy. Yeah. And you did all together, what, five years in Italy, six yeah. years in Italy? They had a. They actually had a camp out there. Was it in uh, Torino? I think. Yeah. I think Torino, Italy. It's kind of like the Portsmouth thing, but no, for playing overseas. But uh, I signed my first deal with Imola. Uh, no, I'm sorry, in Ragusa in Sicily. And come to find out, I had a guy I played AAU with on the team, Monty Mack, and I don't even know if he knew I was going to be on the team. 
But uh, I know we I got on the bus. We were going to like a, I guess a preseason game or scrimmage or something, and he was like, "What up, Squig?" <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And I was, I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "What the?" F-? I had no idea he was on the team. You know, I was just new to that whole overseas stuff. So not only like two guys yeah. from the same city, but from the same team. Same, pretty much the same hood. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same town. Yeah, that was that was good to to have him on the team. You know, just someone that who who was already playing overseas, who know how things worked. Or he whatever. was there a year early. Yeah, a year before I was. Yeah, I think so. he was my year. Yep. You were one year behind me. So. Elton Tyler from Academy Homes in Roxbury ends up in Sicily. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Like, this is the home of the Godfather. Right. The Corleones. How ends is life up, adjusting? Ends up in Sicily with another kid from Roxbury. Exactly. Well. <laughs> like, you couldn't, you can't make this stuff up. How was it adjusting to life in Sicily? Uh, fortunately for me, I never had a problem adjusting to different environments. Uh, it was definitely a culture shock. Cause they just do things differently, like CS's in the middle of the day. I went to the supermarket; everything was closed. I'm like, "What everything the hell is going?" Down. Yeah, I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" Yeah. But um, you know, you just ease your way into it. You figure out what's going on, how things are, how the culture is. But I do remember a lot of the people they were old, everyone short, and like the young people go to the mainland for school and work. So you know what I mean? <laughs> it was kind of like there was no in-between with the right, kids. Right. Either there were young kids there, babies and stuff, toddlers yeah. or whatever, or maybe some teens or older people. You know yeah. what I mean? Everybody in the middle would leave. Nobody your age. Yeah. But um, we made the best of it. We would find a, this one club or bar or whatever we go to. I'd make the mix CDs and Mac would be up there playing all the CDs, mixing it up. <laughs> Like the DJ, dude, we we used to have the parties in there banging. You know, my uncle Warren used to DJ when I was a kid, throw block parties and stuff. So I guess I have some kind of experience with that, putting yeah. together playlists or whatever. Yeah. We would make the best of it, man. Like, we had a ball doing that. There's nothing to do there. Absolutely nothing. Also, saw my first live volcano there. I had no idea there was a volcano there. <laughs> my grandmother calls me up. You okay? What's going on? And I'm like, Grandma, what are you talking about? She's like, a volcano erupted. I'm like, Grandma, there's no volcanoes out here. What do you? So we go on a, a road trip, and it takes us two hours to get to the airport from Ragusa to Catania. You know, the the roads are windy, it's hills and all that. I see a big ass volcano spewing lava, and that that first sight lets you know where your place is in like the universe, because that shit is 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 huge. You know what lava can do, the smoke, the ash, all that. And, and, you know, it's a spectacle, man. Like, first time ever seeing anything like that that made me feel helpless. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt uh, last week in Portugal with, like, those waves. Like, yeah. I, they weren't the 90-footers, but I was messing around in these, like, big waves. Yeah. And they're, like, th- the power of them that mm-hmm. you feel, like, the earth just, like, controlling you. And you can't do There's anything about it. There's nothing you can it. do. It's man versus earth, and earth is going to win every time. Yeah. <laughs> I almost drowned like that in Dominican Republic before I went to college. <laughs> Those fans over there in European countries, they're all about their clubs. Like, it's not like here where if the team's winning, you know, people are riding with them when they lose. They're hard to find. They fight for their clubs. Yeah. Like, literally will fight for their clubs. That was something that you put pride in, you know what I mean? You want to go out there and help 
help these fans and the, their uh, clubs win games and, you know, make it to the playoffs or try to win a championship. So, and also, I've been fortunate to play with a lot of good guys, like not basketball-wise, but like good people. So I never had really had any problems with any teammates or anything. And You had you know, a little problem with some racism over there from coaches. I remember that. Um, I don't think it was that was the coaches. I think that was some of the fans. And uh, I just think racism is everywhere. I think, but remember that one time you told me like the coach – said something kind of crazy one of your last seasons i think that might have been when i was in caserta actually my grandfather that's where he yeah yeah i think the coach said something and i was literally on my way to choking the shit out of him what, what did, he, style. did he say something like a monkey type comment or some type of um say? no i don't i don't think I that remember you you hit me at home and like like I don't know, it was on Facebook or a text yeah. message or whatever, and telling me, yo, the coach just said this. Something crazy. He may have. I actually don't remember, but <laughs> I know whatever he said, I blacked out. And it took another Martin Luther King on my team, <laughs> my my guy, Hussam Gamal, big seven-footer from Egypt. He was like, he stopped me. He was like, <laughs> he's like, Elton, as much as I want you to bash his face in, you can't do it, man. He was like the calmest guy I've ever been around besides myself. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, who's all right, I got you, bro. <laughs> but yeah, I spazzed out. I got kicked out of a few practices over there just because I'm part asshole. So <laughs> I mean you guys have double sessions, like two yeah. practices a day. Two a day and we only played on Sundays. Yep. Like football, football. like NFL Sunday. Yeah, that sucked. So you're spending most of the week practicing and, you know, just going through those motions and then game and then practice. So you got really – you get it, You have to get into a routine. And I probably got into the, the deepest routine ever where people would come visit me and they couldn't stay long. You probably know about that because I'm not the type that's going out adventurous or whatever. I do this, that, and that. And I'm good. <laughs> I visited Elton when he was in Pistoia, which is kind of near Florence. Kobe Bryant grew up there. Exactly. His Kobe Jellybean played, played for Pistoia. <clears throat> and I wanted, he was about, I don't know, let's say an hour from the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you ever been there? He's like, nope. I'm like, do you want to go? He's like, nope. I was like, let's go out there then since you never been. Nope. So I had to get some girl he knew to take me out there. Cause I wanted to see the damn Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yeah. And then luckily, one of his American teammates, Jerry Ice, Jerry McCullough, great dude. Mm -hmm. He was injured at the time, so he was able to show me around town. I was there for two weeks. We could do a whole podcast on my trip out there. <laughs> but uh, we'll try to keep it moving. He did a few years in Italy. Yeah. Played. I keep saying did like it was prison time. It right. was actually an amazing experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, Italy. You went. You did a couple. Uh, two years in Tenerife in the Canary Islands. Uh, one year in. Uh, Tenerife. I went from Ragusa to Imola, then I went to uh, Monte Granaro, then I went to Tenerife, which is in Spain, Canary Islands, and then I went to back to Italy to Caserta, and then Pistoia. After Pistoia. That. I played two years in Pistoia. Then my last couple of seasons were in like Argentina, but I, that's when I started getting hurt and stuff. That was pretty much the end of my career, but. It was good. I, to to close up this segment, I just I thought it was so cool that my boy, you know, best friend, 
dude from the hood in Boston, you would never think that he's goes over to Italy and just kind of makes himself part of the whole culture over there, like learn the language and learn the culture and the customs. And just, yeah. I just thought it was cool as hell. Cause that's like where my people come from and everything. And it was just like, man, I've always thought about living there. And this guy got to spend six, seven years living there. The thing is like a lot of Americans go over there. They think everything should be American. Like you got to adapt to, you know, your surroundings. Like you got to be a part of, put yourself in, you know, these people's shoes. You're the foreigner when you go over there <laughs> and America is so close minded like this is America this is all we know this is better than everything else America is not better than everything else mm-hmm. there's some places that you'll be like wow like even just having a siesta in the middle of the day your work day where you could go home and take a nap or whatever that's not better than working eight hours straight <laughs> they take like the whole month of July or August yeah off. <laughs> the whole month off it was great experience i still talk to a lot of my teammates from each team i played on like over facebook and stuff you know some of the guys i'm really close with my homeboy and matias soloperto i called him <laughs> incredible because he had a fucking temper on him <laughs> I lost all my i always uh identify with the younger guys you know what i mean trying to help them out Take and stuff them on like your that wing. yeah you know especially being an american they always told me one thing they always told me they're like they're like, Elton, you're the best. You speak slow to us so we can understand you. And, you know, <laughs> just little things like that, you know, help out your relationships with people. Well, man, I just going over there, I made friendships with people yeah. through my couple weeks over there where yep. when they come to the States, they hit me up. When yep. I go to Italy, I hit them up. I was at one of the dude's weddings last summer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, crazy. And then Stefano, yeah. Yeah, Stefano and uh, Raba. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you introduced me to Dante Calabria over there yeah. when you played against them. <laughs> cool, cool. I was there for two weeks, and I, I couldn't get enough of it. You got yeah. to spend, like, six, seven years over there. It was great. Going overseas is definitely where you could, like, make a documentary, like a basketball player. I always wanted to. I actually, one of my old teammates, Tyler Smith, just came out of the book. He went to Penn State. Yeah. Uh, i definitely give you the info for that because I know it's a good read. Tyler's a really good dude. Cool. Like, you know, he's one of the guys that I, you know, bonded with, too. Still haven't got it yet, but I will, and I'm going to read it, Tyler, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> so the last thing before we get to the Keeping It a Hundo segment, mm-hmm. uh, I just want to say how much, man, I wanted to throw her in some questions or do this or that, but just talk about how much Amina changed both of our lives, especially yeah. yours. But <clears throat> Elton ended up having a daughter and getting married before me, which uh, I don't know. We were both on the long path to being a bachelor our whole right. life, but... I'm slowly Absolutely. getting away from that, and he's already past that. Well, she, my daughter, actually helped me with that part. When you have a kid, it just changes your whole, well, it should change your whole perspective. You can't say that for everyone. Your life is not about you anymore. I've never been a selfish person, no. but I've always been selfish with myself regarding like relationships or letting people get close to me, probably because just how I grew up and trusting people. But when you have a kid, <clears throat> and you realize that this is someone you have to take care of, you have to try to raise, you have to teach all the stuff that you were taught and some of the stuff that you weren't taught that you found out on your own, and you got to keep this kid alive, <laughs> basically. It changes your whole perspective, and it's a love that comes from deep in your heart. Like You don't have to like yeah, create that. No, like, it's already there. You don't have to warm up to it. It's, it just hits your ass and 
and there's nothing you could do about it and it's probably the best feeling you'll ever have watching you and amina it changed me for real like i had mm-hmm. never first of all seeing you guys bond seeing how great of a dad you were and i'd like to throw in this uh, mike simmons as well yeah great father Smooth. great dude another friend of ours big wheezy we play with yep. just great great fathers uh, that didn't come from great fathers right and they exactly. turned it around i admire you guys so much for that and the relationship you helped me build with amina I can't thank you enough for it. Like, I've never had that type of connection with... Right. I mean, I'm getting fucking, like, choked up. Yeah, I've never kid. had that connection with a child before. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't have that connection with, you know, my, my own family members. So, yeah. like, man, that's... No, cha- I mean... It changed me. I never knew I would want a daughter or anything but until the thing she is, came around. it's not my doing. It's her. She's, like... She has something special about she it. She is a special kid, Everywhere man. I go with her... Everyone that sees her is touched by her some kind of way. Even when I would post pictures when she was, you know, one year old, baby, newborn, whatever, people were just drawn to her. I mean, she's cute, you know, a cute kid, but there's something really special about her. Like, it's, I, I have people who follow my Instagram just yeah. to look at her, just to yeah. see pictures of her, and then they're like, we, we, then they found you, like, oh, that's her dad. I can yeah. see more of her, and I'm gonna follow him now. <laughs> I realized that when she was a baby, like people were just drawn to her. I can't explain it. I don't try to have people drawn to her because some people are lunatics. Right. But <laughs> she's a special kid, and she's gonna grow up to be a special person. She's very kind-hearted. She's intelligent. The- intelligent she's goofy as hell she gets that from me and uh you know her mom is doing a great job with her and her you know her mom's boyfriend and i couldn't be more happier that there's another guy that's willing to help my daughter out because she you know she lives with her mom in cali so you know every time i see him when i bring amina back or whatever i'll tell him like i'm very fortunate you know that you're amina's stepdad or she calls him dad. I have no problem with that. Yeah. You know, I, I think the more dads that are, you know, trying to raise a kid the right way, the merrier. I, man, I don't, she calls me Uncle Map. She calls yeah. me Uncle Matt. I'm her godfather. I'm yeah. her uncle. I'm whatever she wants me to be. But if she ever needs a father or yeah. anything, you know, I would do anything for that girl. Absolutely. I appreciate that too. And she, I mean, she's changed a lot of people's lives. And she has just been herself, just growing up. All right, let's keep it a hundo now. Mm-hmm. Let's have some fun. Keep Who you got one-on-one? Jesus Christ versus Jesus Shuttlesworth. <laughs> hmm. There's been varying answers to this question, by the way. You mean as playing one-on-one? Yeah, they're playing in their prime. In their prime? Yeah. Jesus Christ or Jesus Shuttlesworth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus Shuttlesworth. You taking Shuttlesworth? <laughs> yeah. He had trouble with Denzel. Yeah, but he <laughs> overcame that. True, true. Uh, give me your Mount Rushmore of Boston athletes. The Boston four athletes. athletes, the most iconic athletes in Boston history. Boston history? Well. I mean, you can, you don't even have to go back past your, like, yeah. our, our lifetime. I'm we've not, seen. I'm not much of a historian, but. But you are a big Boston sports fan like myself. Yeah. In no particular order, you got to put Bill Russell in there. You got to put Bird. You got to put um, TB12 in there. You got to put – who else is in there? For me, 
even that, though this is your list for me, even though his tenure was short lived, Reggie Lewis. Love I Reggie. love Reggie Lewis. Love Reggie. You know what I mean? Um, and also, you know what? I'm going to go with a guy I went to college with, Vince Wilfork. Vince Wilfork was a very important piece of the Patriots' defense. I'm going to put him up there. So you got five, but I think there's room for Vince. He, he doesn't take yeah. up too much space. <laughs> uh, top five basketball players to ever come out of the bean. Out of the bean? I'm going to say Randell Jackson, one. Scooney. Monty. You can put, uh, oh, Jamal Jackson, who was, yep. you know, who got killed. Killed out at Cleveland State. Yep. And those are just guys that come to my head. A lot of, a lot of the guys that I played ball with with BABC. <laughs> um, S. Dot and them. <laughs> the Twins. The Babel twins. Yep. Even though they're not from Boston, but yeah, it's all Boston. the same. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys, man. I can't even put my finger so on it. So we kind of touched on that with this question, and we talked about John Salmons. Who's the best player you ever played with, period? Europe, Miami? I ever played with would probably be Randolph Childress. Yeah. That went to Wake Forest. Yep. When I started. With Tim Duncan. Yeah, when I started playing with Randolph. He would he would be on the court, helping me out, so I could shine. You know what I mean? He he come down the court, and I'm posting up. Yo yo, get low, get low, sit on him, sit on him. That means you gotta get a lower base. Sit on him, sit on him, take him. Take, you know what I mean? He, while he's while he has the ball yeah. in his hand and he's orchestrating the fucking offense, he's barking directions at me to get pe- better position to score. I've I love Monty Mack and all those guys, but I've never had anyone that, that would do that. Because this guy middle. makes other people better. Not only yeah. can he control the game himself. Yeah, exactly. In the middle of a game, I thought it was, I was always in awe that, like, really? You're doing, that's crazy. Like, you have to be a, a certain type of player to be able to do that. So it was definitely Randolph Childress. That's a great answer. Yep. Best point guard you ever played with. You play with a lot of good PGs. You got yeah. Stink. You got John DePina. You got Jose Suervo, Vernon Jennings. Yep. You got <laughs> Smooth Ball. Mike Simmons. You got yep. Randolph Childress. You got Jerry Ice McCullough. You got a ton of them. I think you already answered it, though, Randolph. Yeah. Um, definitely Randolph, and i probably say second would be Vernon because I played with him longer. Yeah. And then Stink. Developed, like, a yeah. chemistry. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, like, with Vern, he's a 6'4 point guard. But probably like a a really long wingspan, and he was like Tasmanian devil out there on defense with other opposing point guards. It was ridiculous watching him how he would go after people on defense. Like, no, he ran the team and all, but once he was out there trying to lock somebody up, good luck. Craziest or most eccentric teammate you ever had, and provide me a story to go along with it. Most eccentric teammate. My guy over in Italy, Mattia Soloperto, <laughs> the one I call Incredibile, <laughs> because he was so much about his body. He would go like to the supermarket and just get two rotisserie chickens and just eat them. Like, not even cut them up, just eat the rotisserie chickens. Yeah. And 
hand to mouth. Yeah, hand to mouth. And he, oh, Elton, the chicken is so good. And, you know, <laughs> I love that guy. And he would feed his dog. He had a, um. Did he scream at his mom that he needs more protein? Oh, no. <laughs> Mama mia. <laughs> he would feed his, he had a bulldog, I think an English bulldog. And he would just feed the damn dog blocks of cheese. And I'd be I don't like, think what dogs are, you? are supposed to eat cheese. Yeah, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, he likes cheese, Elton. I'm like, okay, I guess so. But uh, probably Mattia. Definitely eccentric guy. Very smart guy. Very driven guy. I bonded with him a lot. We did a lot of stuff together as well. So I like how but some I, of your teammates were smoking cigarettes. Like, oh yeah. At halftime. Oh my and god. Stuff. Like Hilarious. I had teammates smoking. Guido. Yeah, smoking cigarettes at halftime in the shower after the game. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I would smoke my black and miles. True, true. But I would like when this game time and shit came around, I would stop that because it fuck up your lung capacity <laughs> all right do you hate anybody hate no yeah and dislike do, a lot of people yeah possibly not many but just people you don't that, hate anybody though. no if you that, i was gonna say if you do let's you have that number because we can call them <laughs> no nah, hating is a waste of energy sure to it me is. it's a waste of energy and then hating someone is basically saying you hate yourself i don't hate myself i don't hate people dislike what some people do say whatever or just dislike them just because, yeah, but hate, nah. If you were doing a pre-draft interview and you could ask one question to a potential first-round pick, what would you ask him? Are you going to manage your money correctly? <laughs> it would be a financial question. Yeah, because money goes quick, I know. I play ball, I spent a lot of nights in the clubs, Sunday through Sunday, down at, what, Live, Opium, all that. Uh, I loved it. Eye Candy Saturdays at Dream. <laughs> Dream. <laughs> All those clubs. Man, we were going out hard. Yep. Definitely got to. Probably because I didn't respect money. I I mean, I wanted money, but I wasn't like, you know what I mean? It never ran my life. I remember what you so, said to me one time when I was trying to give you some advice on money. And you yeah. said, I never had money before, and I'll be all right if I don't have it again. Yeah. So as long like, as I'm not right. dead, I'm good. What's the most important thing you ever learned from grandma? Grandma? Who's also my grandmother. Yeah. And she'll let um, you know that. One thing that my grandmother always did with me was let me make my decisions. And whatever decision, you have to own up to it. So if you're going to make a bad decision or a good decision, she instilled in me that you need to... Make whatever. your bed, you yeah. lie in it. Exactly. And... I've always stuck to that. Like, whatever. If even if I know I'm gonna do something stupid, I'm gonna do it anyway because I'll be all right living with the consequences. I'm not gonna do anything like go to jail or anything like that. But I don't be dwelling on stuff like that. So you know, make things right and don't do the same shit again. Quick story about his grandmother. One summer, we were both living in Boston at the time, and we were at his grandma's house, and we were playing. Uh, <laughs> MLB the show. MLB on PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, always using the Red Sox. Who can use the Red Sox? And, you know, we're playing. And she walks in. It's the middle of the day. And she looks at the TV and she says, oh, the Red Sox are playing today. What's the score? <laughs> <laughs> the same yeah. same day, I think she said, uh, what's this space book all about? Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she said that and we 
you and I just looked at each other like, what the? <laughs> I think that might be the same day she gave us a bottle of Gentleman yeah, Jack. Yeah, Gentleman Jack. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I was like, what is a Gentleman Jack? But we sure didn't tear that down. Oh, man. So the, the first time I ever, like, really made myself comfortable at, at her home, she had a cook. She used to have a cookout every summer. Mm-hmm. And I showed up to the, the first time, you know, I don't know, this is 10, 15 years ago. Shit, maybe longer than that. Time flies. And, uh, you know, everyone's like, who the hell is this white dude here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, clearly his family doesn't There's no have white any. guys in the hood where we live. Nah. Unless and, they're police. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all, you know, they were, everybody was a little bit apprehensive, like, who is this guy? And they all kind of approached me randomly one yeah. by one and asked who the hell I was. And, <laughs> you know, your mom asked me if I could get you to buy her a car. And oh, God. All these type of conversations. <laughs> Every year after that, Nobody ever batted an eye, and everybody, if I didn't show up, it was like, where's Matt? Yeah. Why didn't Matt come? Right. Like, they made me part of the <laughs> family the so doing? fast. Like, Where's Matt at? Yep. So i just like to throw a shout out, because I know some of your family members are going to listen to this. Yeah. I love you guys. Thanks for making me part of the family. We love you. Oh, my God. Top three TV shows of all time. Top three TV shows. I already know what a couple of them are. Number one is Martin. Yep. That's number one. Yep. Number two, Golden Girls. <laughs> That's a classic. Love that shit. I love it too. Golden Girls. What's the third TV show? Probably a cartoon. Something that I grew up with. It would probably probably be Transformers or GI Joe, because I watch those religiously. You can see how like not serious you pretty much are most yeah. of the time. Just yep. like you like I'm this a big silly kid. Shit. Exactly. Best artist ever from Boston, singer, rapper, whatever. Best artist. Yeah. I mean, I because there's a lot of talent out of Boston, yeah. especially your neighborhood. Maki Maki and the Funky Bunch. There you go. No, you got to go with New Edition. They've done a lot, and their tenure was really long. Yep. Yeah. Even with RSO and those guys. Yep. Ed OG and the Bulldogs. I have. I have a personal Who's guru. That? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guru. I mean, he's easily the best rapper ever yeah. out of Boston, but they, they had some good singers out of Boston, too. Yeah. New Edition's great. That Moment of Truth album is fire. Amazing. I still listen to it. Top five rappers of all time that Top are alive. Top five all time? Yep. In no order. Yep, no order. I'm going to go with my favorite rapper is Nas. Yep. Always been Nas. Jay-Z, got to put him up there. Biggie, Pop. You got one more. Got one more. I could say Rakim, but I can also say KRS. Who are you putting in? You're going to go with somebody classic, though. KRS yeah. or Rakim? Yeah. You could put a, a slash in between those two. All right. They, they both made the fifth. list before. So. <laughs> All right. Steel cage match. Who you got? Leo Papil versus Coach <laughs> Ham, Leonard Hamilton. That's a, that's a matchup right there. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> They're both some some yeah, they bulldog both, pit bulls. Yeah, they are. Steel cage match. It'll probably end up being a damn draw, knowing those two, because as much as they're bulldogs, they're probably the like some of the best people you can meet, and they're really they can be the most personal people you can meet. You know what I mean? They joke around, all that. So I I can't pick one of over the over the other. Favorite foreign city you ever been to? Favorite foreign city probably would be 
in Tenerife in Tabaiba with the dam. My apartment was, it was an apartment complex built in right in the side of a damn cliff right on the beach. I don't, I don't I can know how it gets any bigger than that. I've been places like that. I can picture it. So <laughs> it you're saying ridiculous. I need to throw Tenerife yeah. on the list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need Definitely. to hit Tenerife. Tabaiba is the city. All right. What's the most ignorant thing a fan has ever said to you? Oh, that was probably when I played in a game in Scafati in Italy, the southern part. Uh, one of the <laughs> one of the guys in the damn bleachers was calling me a monkey. The so, whole game or like once? Well, I wasn't paying attention to him until after the game. Yeah. So maybe he was during the game. But after the game, he's calling me a monkey. So, I, you know, I pulled my ears out, made the monkey face, <laughs> scratched my head at him, and he got pissed. Oh, my God. And that's the moment I knew that I needed to get my ass in the locker room and get out of there because the whole section started. Oh, I also made the suck my dick gesture at him. <laughs> <laughs> so that might have I think helped. it was appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So that I got my ass out of there real quick. <laughs> Who plays Elton Tyler if they make a movie about his life? Ugh. Who plays me in a movie? I would probably, it would probably have to be my daughter. Her personality is like mine. Embodies my, you. Yeah, so it would probably be my daughter. All right, so I've, I've asked this question to a few people. I kind of take their name, like mm-hmm. your name's Elton, and I say, give me the top five Eltons of all time. Top and five I can't Elton. think of five Eltons, so I have three. Give me the top three Eltons of all time. <laughs> well, me, <laughs> Elton John, <laughs> Elton Brand. That's it. That's all I got. I'm sure you got more. Well, my my friend who lived next door to me, Andrew, his I think his sister used to date a guy named Elton. <laughs> so we gonna throw him in there. <laughs> Your dad didn't make the list. My dad didn't make the, didn't list, make the because, list. Well, I guess he can make the list since he helped make me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mind come to mind immediately. So those are my five. Someone I don't know at all. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Last question. What's your death row meal? Death row meal? Yep. What are you eating? Bitch, I ain't going on death row. Ain't never. That's never gonna happen. <laughs> my last dying meal. One meal. Probably something my grandmother make. Her chicken and rice. Yeah. Yep. Eat you, chicken and rice. A little grace hot sauce with it. Oh, definitely great. She actually brought me some for the housewarming. Yeah. It was the best gift anyone's ever given me. I almost shed a tear. But <laughs> she uh, introduced me to it. Now yeah. I know. <laughs> but uh I'll probably drink water. That's what I was gonna ask. What are you having with it? Yeah, I'll probably drink water. <laughs> All right. That's it, man. We could have done this for this man, I, I feel like there's so much stuff I just I yeah. couldn't even get it all out. It's too yeah, much stuff. Too, we lot, have too much history. Yeah, it's a long many, many, many years of stuff yep. <laughs> to try to sort through and remember. And many more. Yeah. <clears throat> try to catch up to you one of these days. Maybe create one of those little Aminas and marry me Adela and yeah. do all that. Yeah, we can do that for sure. <laughs> You'd be my best man, too, if hopefully my brother don't get mad. Right. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. We'll figure it out. <laughs> All right, bro. Appreciate you having me on. No doubt. Love you, dog. Keep it a hundo for life. Keeping it a hundo, bitches. <laughs> I like that. That is it for my conversation with Elton Tyler. We're just scratching the surface, so I can guarantee he'll be on another time. We could have kept talking, but that would have cut into our time with Amina. She was visiting from California. I only get to see her 
you know, once or twice a year. So I was up there visiting her as much as I was visiting him. And I got to spend a little time with, with my goddaughter, Amina, playing Uncle Map. And it was great to see her. That same night, me and my girlfriend, Marissa, went to the Red Sox game and sat in the monster seats. And Mookie Betts hit a walk-off homer. The Red Sox are unbelievable. They're 50 games over 500. Best record in baseball. It's going to be a really fun postseason because baseball is boring as hell, except when the Red Sox are involved. Might have to get Elton up in those monster seats. He doesn't fit in the regular seats. I mean, I know I don't even really fit in the regular seats. But the new monster seats, they, they got a little more room. So I think he might be able to sit in the monster seats. Elton's family and those of you who are listening for the first time, please scroll down and rate and review Keeping It a Hundo. I will greatly appreciate it. I know it's probably your first time listening. So please do that. The more support, the better. And make sure you download and subscribe to Keeping It a Hundo. Next week, I got one of your favorite guests I've had on the show. It'll be his second time. Clean John. He's still clean, and he's going to give you an update on how the rest of his life is going. It's actually his birthday this week, so we're going to do a nice little birthday podcast with John, and make sure you keep it a hundo. Keeping it a hundo, bitches. (laughs) They say it's lonely at the top in whatever you do. You always got to watch motherfuckers around you. Nobody's invincible. No plan is foolproof. We all must meet our moment of truth. The same shiesty cats that you hang with and do your thing with could set you up and wet you up. Nigga, peep the language, it's universal. You play with fire, it may hurt you or burn you. Lessons are blessings you should learn through. Let's face facts. Although MCs lace tracks, it doesn't mean behind the scenes there ain't no dirt to trace back. That goes for all of us. There ain't nobody to trust. It's like sabotage. It's got me ready to bust, but I can't jeopardize what I've done up to this point. So I'ma get more guys to help me run the whole joint. Cultivate, multiply, motivate, or else we'll die. You know I'll be the master of the who, what, where, and why. See, when you're shining, some chumps will want to dull you. Always selfish, jealous punks will want to pull you down. Just like some shellfish in a bucket, cause they love it. To see your ass squirm like a worm. But just as you receive what is coming to you, everybody else is gonna get this too. I ain't no saint, therefore I cannot dispute that everyone must meet their moment of truth.